Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is talking to the media. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this past Sunday, Central had a congregational meeting about whether or not to pursue the selling of the building. Mm-hmm. Why this has to deal with talking to the media mm-hmm. is because it's a building that happens to be on the historic register. So it's a building that people probably, if you're local, may have heard of the architect. Yes. So it becomes newsworthy. Right. Well, and it's not just locals who have heard of the architect. He's actually very significant in United States architecture. Yep. So it's one of those that it makes significant news, not just locally, but it could make bigger news. So it got attention from the real estate section, not necessarily from the religion perspective, but from the real estate section of the local journalism. Yeah. And the reason we're going to talk about this is because in the past, you've had a chance to be not only in the paper, but also on a news story on the television, correct? Correct. So what is it like when the journalists contact you? It really depends upon the situation and how they reach out. The various ways in which people reach out to you are anything from an email to a phone call, cold call now. And Connections can be made in a whole bunch of different methods anymore. So for these two situations, there were there was an email for one of them. Another one came through a connection that I have and was a follow-up email. Someone who I gave them my contact information encouraged them to contact me through email and my phone number. And so those connections happened. I made certain to answer my phone. Sure, And build relationship with them. Because the one thing I want to be clear is that although we did not solicit media participation, we did not go out and chase the story. We did not go out and say, hey, is there anyone who would please tell our story? When these journalists reached out to us, one of them, Janet Eastman of The Oregonian, reached out to us actually the day after, within hours even, of our very first announcement going out to the congregation. Wow. Before it was even on our website, before it went out publicly in our newsletter, the information went directly to our membership and... Within a few hours, we had an email saying, selling your building, question mark. (laughs) Oh, my. And a solicitation for more information and an ability to be a public voice to tell our story. It is possible when these kinds of invitations come to treat a journalist like they are the bad guy, like they are someone who is out to do harm to your story or to, you know, twist try your to story someplace, twist your words or misquote you, or you can be excited that you have a gifted, talented, professional writer ready to partner with you who knows your community, who loves your community and wants to help tell a community story and you can partner and work with them 
and trust that they know what they're doing to do their job. Journalism is an incredibly difficult profession in our country right now. Mm -hmm. And to have a professional journalist reach out who is surviving and making it in the journalism right now and offer to help and tell the story is a gift. And I took it as such. I don't know that I was expecting this story to break before our vote happened. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit will do what she will. And our public storytellers can be partners. And so I did the best that I could to share the story that we want our neighbors and our community to know and to hear and to give that story to the storytellers to share with the people that they know. Does seminary give you any information on how to deal with journalists? I mean, where do you learn to talk to them? It's not a typical part of your job, but I'm pretty sure it happens. It's not a typical part of our job, and it's not anything that is trained in seminary, at least not when I was there. It was something that I received training for when I first arrived actually to this call. Oh, really? We were working on the Freedom for Marriage Act, mm -hmm. and one of the things the congregation wanted of me was for me to actively participate in that work. As part of that, we were given the opportunity to be media trained. Nice. Do you reach out to the media in that, or is it something that the media provides? It was something that was provided by the campaign office. Okay. I used to actually work with a bunch of former on-air news personalities, and one of them, one of his things that he would do as a volunteer was go out and talk to, like, your firefighters and your police officers to give them some media training for when something happens, and they're inevitably on camera talking about something relevant, right? So it makes sense to me that it's out there. That's brilliant. Yeah. No, that was not the kind of training that we got. <laughs> oh, like, okay. That would have been helpful. This was more like how to answer questions, how to stay on point when an interviewer is trying to send you off in a different direction. Because we were working on a political campaign. Mm -hmm. We were actively working on a measure for the state of Oregon. And so we had a topic, we had a goal, and we had something we were trying to get the message out for. Sure. And so they were training us on how to simply answer questions remember what our target statements were, what the difference between talking to a news reporter is versus talking to someone on film is. That was going to be one of my questions because I can only imagine there's a difference. There is. And I completely forgot it last week. I oh, thought nice. that I remembered, but I completely forgot it. So those kinds of bits and tricks definitely help. I think the training we get in being storytellers and preachers, working in the language of metaphor, being comfortable talking in front of people, those kinds of things, that helps sure. for sure. But the specificity of the different techniques, how to speak factually, how to be succinct, how to give a quote, that kind of piece, how to turn a memorable phrase, that stuff comes with a little bit of practice. Is it something that you 
try to wear your collar for if you know you're going to meet a journalist or is that a detriment as much as it is a help? Uh, depends on the situation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The collar in the Pacific Northwest is always a tool and it's something you choose at the right moment for me anyway. And I very rarely choose it, but that's me. I know a lot of people really do. I, I just don't find them very personally comfortable, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I have no problem wearing my office. I just don't find the shirts very comfortable. But when I'm being interviewed, depending upon the situation, like for the measure for freedom to marry, wearing the collar was very important. Mm -hmm. If you were going to be seen, like being seen on camera, super important to be wearing the collar for that visible solidarity as a religious figure. I think lots of times that can be a very important thing. This last week, I was dressed up for the visual interview like I had my suit on mm -hmm. because I had just come from actually officiating burying a Marine, but the family for the Marine didn't want a heavy spiritual service. Okay. So I purposely didn't wear my collar because they didn't want a very religious service. They were fine with like Psalm 23, but they didn't really mm -hmm. want a strongly Christian service. Mm -hmm. So I had on my suit, but no collar. So since it was a cold call interview, all of a sudden, an hour after the burial, I was going to go get interviewed for the news. I didn't have my collar on. And that's just how it goes sometimes. You just are where you are. When you're contacted by the media like this, do they mm -hmm. give you a list of questions or is it you get what you get when they get there? That's a really great question. It really depends. For print journalism, I have had the experience that I sometimes get a list of questions ahead that I can type out my answers and send them a whole bunch of stuff. And some of what I've typed will end up in there and some of it won't. That's fun. Right. And for media... I don't think I've really gotten a list of questions ahead of time before for TV media. It's really just a cold call kind of thing where you stand there, you get the microphone attached to you. They ask you to look at the camera or look at them, give them your name and title and spell it out. And then they start asking you questions and you just go, it's yeah, it's different. It's interesting. It's interesting. So because the news station was there with cameras Mm -hmm. what kind of visuals were they taking? There was a little bit of you and then there was some of the church. I mean, mm -hmm. did it seem like it went on forever or was it like, wow, I can't believe they're done already? Well, I should say it was one person. Oh, wow. And one interviewer and they ran the camera and did it all. Yeah. Yeah. She did everything. Nice. So she was there for about one hour and she did all of it. She ran her camera. She did the interview. She ran her tech. She did all of it. And she spent about half an hour interviewing me and listening to me tell the story and about half an hour filming what is called B-roll. Uh, that's all the ambiance stuff and taking different shots of the stained glass windows and long shots of the building and a uh, hymnal on a pew and all different kinds of things like that. So it was all up about an hour and about half an hour of each. 
So when you see a three minute clip of a news story, that's an hour on site and then quite a bit of editing that she had to do. And the written part that you see on the website, if you go to the website and follow the link, Mm -hmm. she was able to take a fair amount of what I said of the story that I told her of like maybe two of the eight questions, two or three of the eight or 10 questions that she asked me that she took maybe one paragraph out of the five paragraphs of answer that I gave her. Nice. (laughs) And actually printed it. Were you disappointed at whatever may have been left on the cutting room floor? No, I, what I was disappointed in is that I forgot that TV like sound bites, Ah. not sound meals. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Headlines, not paragraphs. Yeah, that was on me. She's like, so tell us about the history of the church. And I'm like, well, this congregation Grab a cup of coffee. (laughs) Right? Like, I just started back, you know, we were founded 100 years ago next year. And in the 1940s, we had a dream. I'm like, no, no, what was I thinking? This is not the human interest story that you were quite hoping for. Yeah. It was definitely, um, I needed to have remembered that shorter is better for TV. <laughs> when you talk to journalists, how much do you worry about being misrepresented? I can only imagine as a pastor, that's more of a concern. When I was younger, I worried about it a lot. Ten years after 9-11, someone came and interviewed me for, a local journalist interviewed me for the news And I was really nervous about being misrepresented and having my words not misquoted, but edited such that the context was missing or that kind of a piece. And I guess maybe I'm a little less worried about it now, not because I've changed or the world has changed or I've become any more skillful. I think in some ways, maybe I just... I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to take the risk that instead people have good intention, that journalists have good intention, especially for major companies. Like this is the Oregonian and KPTV. These aren't publications that are on either extreme. These are publications that are in companies that are looking to support our local community. And one of my best friends is a local journalist and I know how hard they work. And I I just don't have this fear. I think they're wanting to build community in the same kind of way that our community is about building community and doing justice and making peace, right? That's our mission statement. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of journalists really get into the work because their dream is to serve their community by telling the stories of the community. And to do it in a helpful way. And so I guess I've gotten to a point in my life where I want to trust that they're really wanting to do that. What kind of feedback do you typically get when you do these kinds of stories? Do people reach out by email and say, hey, I saw you? Or is it more in-depth feedback than that? It's a mix. I get a, hey, I saw you. That was great. I get a... How did that happen? 
I sometimes get a, oh my gosh, that would be so scary. I don't know how you do that. Mm -hmm. And what's been beautiful this last week has been, we had no idea this was going on. We are praying for you. And just this beautiful outpouring of support from the community for our community, for our congregation, and an outreach of ideas and people in the wider community, really, that we've been praying for for a long time, that we have been trying to share our story and get the word out there, but that has been unsuccessful in getting out there. And because these storytellers amplified our voice, we now have a chance to make more connections, have more one-to-ones, have conversations with more people out there who do care about the success of our congregation and of this particular facility. And those are two separate things, Mm -hmm. right? So it's different kinds of people, different kinds of groups, and totally different kinds of opportunities that are being presented, both by text message and by email and by phone. Do you expect more people to reach out and try to get more from the story? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope so. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. From the times that you have talked to the media, Uh is there one thing that you always say or ask of the journalists before the whole process begins? Not before it begins, but at the end of it, when everything is done and I'm taking off the lavalier mic or I'm finishing the phone call or I've typed my last thing to them, that kind of a thing. I do confess that I do often say, thank you so much. It was wonderful to work with you. I really enjoyed this. Please edit me kindly. <laughs> and and that is, you know, I think I probably said that to you at the very beginning of our podcasting relationship before mm-hmm. we had done several hundred of these podcasts. When you hand your voice over figuratively and metaphorically, to an editor who then has the power to cut and edit your words into any form they want. You are handing a ton of power over to them yeah, because you are. they can represent you in any way they want. Well, especially these days, what you can do with that video and that voice is kind mm-hmm. of astonishing. Absolutely. Think of the hours of my voice that you have on recording. Mm-hmm. You could absolutely AI my voice so much, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just that feeling of handing it over and saying, please be kind. Please be kind. Please remember that my voice has influence. My voice serves a certain community. My voice is a, a comfort for some. There are young ones who know my voice and trust my voice. And please don't manipulate my voice in the editing process in such a way that it will cause harm. And so when I ask that question, please edit me kindly, that's kind of everything I'm saying behind that statement. Like, please don't take my words and edit them in such a way that particularly a young one for whom Pastor Amanda is a place of comfort and guidance 
and twist or turn or change my representation such that it would cause them harm. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about talking to the media. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And if you encounter our story out in the media and you have questions or you would like to learn more, please feel free to reach out. Or if you are a journalist and would like to help amplify our story, please reach out at pastor at centralportland.org. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, you can reach out to Don and I at podcast at centralportland.org. And if you want to hear more of our backlog of over 300, and I think we are just about up. I think next week is our 350th. We're getting close to 400 podcast episode, uh, please check out our backlog on Spotify and anywhere that you find your podcast episodes. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.